And we're live. Welcome to this week's episode of MicroConf on Air. As always, I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every Wednesday, we live stream for 30 minutes and we cover topics related to startups, ambitious startups, but not the venture track ones, startups that uh, we build to get purpose, freedom, and relationships. I said those out of order today for some reason. But these are not typical Silicon Valley startups. We, um, you know, where fundraising is a goal and just all the things you think about. Uh, we really are building businesses for ourselves and maybe not to change the world, but to change at least our little corner of it. So welcome again today. I have an amazing guest on today, a very accomplished entrepreneur named Merrill Johnston, who will join me in just a second. I want to kick us off by making a special announcement though. And uh, this is one of the early times you will hear me talk about this. MicroConf Remote is our online only event it's an online uh, digital event. It's going to be August 26th. And we know that there's a bunch of virtual events going on right now. And we have always, from day one, wanted MicroConf Remote to be different than those. So more details on how it will be different will come to you. But just trust me that it's it's not going to be the, you know, the typical switching from speaker in an apartment, speaking to a webcam, to the next one, to the frazzled host, to this and that. Like we, producer Xander and I have been doing a ton of thinking about this and I think we got something really special cooked up for you. So mark your calendar, April 26th and um, head over to microconfremote.com if you want to get registered. I'm pretty stoked for this. Hope to see you there. Okay, let's uh, call our guest onto uh, MicroConf on air. Merrill Johnston is the founder and CEO of Bean Ninjas and host of the Bean Ninjas podcast. So Bean, Ninja, Bean Ninjas is a productized service providing bookkeeping services on the Zero accounting platform. And she is coming to us all the way from Australia. Welcome, Merrill. How are you? Hey, Rob. Yeah, it's good to be here. Absolutely. It's great to, uh, I was, Marilyn and I were talking offline real quick, and this is the first time we, we've run in the same circles. I've heard her on Tropical MBA a number of times, and even sticker, there's a sticker for Bean Ninjas that is like on my kid's laptop that Sherry got at a conference, but Marilyn and I had never met. So it's, that's one of the amazing things about, you know, running a podcast or a live stream is that you're able to, to meet good entrepreneurs like this. So we are going to be talking today about the pros and cons of services and, you know, are services underrated in the microconf space, especially in the microconf community where it's, it's more heavily weighted towards developers. And I think that, that a lot of developers think, as I did too in the early days, I don't want a human to be involved because that's messy and it's cumbersome and it's expensive and it requires management, it requires my time, and I really just want to write a bunch of code to automate a bunch of stuff and charge people for that. And so that's what we're really going to dig into today. And, you know, I think the conversations, um, I, this is going to be some twists and turns. It's going to be fun. So I think to kind of couch, like just to kick us off, Merrill, is how can founders think about adding services to an existing offering, whether that's software, whether that's, you know, anything else, how can, how should founders think about adding services to help fast track revenue growth? Because as folks probably know, services tend to, you can charge a lot more for a done-for-you service than you can for just a piece of software. So I'll let you take it away from there. I think to start answering that question, it's important to think about, well, what are some of the advantages? Why would you want to offer a service? And I think you've you've covered a couple of the ideas there that you can charge higher prices, which are really good for cash flow, which is particularly important in the early stages of growing a business where either you're trying to cover your own wages so you can work full-time in that business, 
or you're trying to hire other staff or invest in marketing. So one of those reasons is around cash flow. But I think there's other advantages too. And when you're delivering services, you're talking to your customers in detail. So you're getting a really good understanding of what problem you're solving for them and you're getting paid to do that. You're, you're not asking for favours or asking for people to give you feedback. You're actually diving in and solving a problem for someone and getting paid to do that. So I see though those as a couple of reasons that there's probably others that we, we could explore. If, if we get into the mechanics of how, when you're offering software and, and as a customer of software products, the more complex the software is, the harder it is to implement into your business. And if you have a team, then there can be a change management piece and training. And sometimes there's a lot of effort in actually adopting that software. And so as a business owner myself, I know that I've paid for implementations of software just to have a great experience. And I've been really happy that I've done that. So as a customer of these products, I know that I'm willing to do that if there's, there's value and it's going to help my team. So as a SaaS founder, there might be ways that you could help your larger clients implement your software and really understand well, what problem you're solving with your software product and other additional services that can be added onto that. And when we're talking about services, I'm not necessarily saying go and do consulting in a completely different field, but how can you add something on that's going to help grow your main business? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do kind of think of it in terms of maybe two options or two buckets. If if you were to have a SaaS or software offering, there's that upfront implementation, which can often be like a flat fee. Like we see, I think Infusionsoft charges $2,000 for onboarding and some other stuff. Uh, I'd imagine uh, a lot of the like Salesforce and all these other have these whole consulting wings that you know make tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. So implementation is one thing. And I think that's super valuable because it not only brings in revenue, but it also means that people get set up on your software and don't just bail during a trial, right? Yeah. And then the second piece to that is the ongoing. And that's more of what, like Bean Ninjas, you're, you're an ongoing monthly service where every month you're helping founders. Do you think about it in the, in the, the same way of kind of, there's upfront implementation and, and ongoing? I don't know if that's too simplistic of an overview. I've never, I've never run a productized service, so. I, I think that's another option as well. But I think some people call it SWAS, where it's like, service built on top of software and i haven't necessarily would have been just in that light but you could say that that's what we are we are built on the back of the zero accounting platform and then we have a service that sits on top of that and i think there's other examples of that i know um businesses that do something similar with shopify or, or wordpress and so it's a, it's a service that's built on top of that software platform but you might actually develop that software or run that software as well and I think implementations are definitely useful for helping your customers have a great experience. And then if you've got a service built on top, there's the, the added advantage of recurring revenue, which you might not have if you're only doing implementations. Yep, that's right. And I don't, I mean, personally, I don't think it matters if you own the software or not, right? I mean, you're built on top of Zero, mm -hmm. but as long as Zero isn't going to, you know, there's always platform risk when you do that, but as long as they're not mm -hmm. going to shut out their bookkeeping partners or replace them or somehow, you know, start charging you a bunch of money. Like aside from that, that small, small risk, I don't see a huge disadvantage. I guess you can't, you know, you can't build the features in the software, but then that it's, it's not your problem. Like that's, to me, that's an advantage because I've run software products and just hearing all the feature requests, you know, and having to manage all that is actually a pain. Um, so I, I, I mean, I think ultimately, yes, it would be amazing to have a software, software product that you own, a SaaS that you own and have services on it. But there's this, this, 
there's also the idea of stair stepping, you know, of of maybe yeah. you don't spend all the time to build that you didn't you didn't spend the time to build zero and yet you've built bean ninjas to what I'm assuming is you know quite a bit of revenue based on the notoriety you have. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. And I I sometimes talk about the backstory of bean ninjas and having a consulting business prior to that. But what I often don't or I don't really mention is that for a very short time I was involved in a tech, a health tech startup. And we'd won a, a startup weekend and gone on into an accelerator. And I quickly realized I don't have any experience or network in this industry. We don't have any, any capital. And it's going to take a very long time for me to be able to replace my income in this business. And I'm going to have to keep on working a full-time job. And that was when I realized for me, that first stair step was how do I replace my income? And to me, the fastest way to do that was consulting. And that, and that didn't take long at all. And when I was consulting, I was able to work less hours a week. So I could work 20 hours, 25 hours a week and replace my full-time wage and then had time to then go and build a productized service. And so that was my path of thinking, well, maybe one day I'd like to do something in the tech space, but really I want to create an income stream first, free up my time, build my entrepreneurial skills, build a network and an audience. And I've been working on that for five years so far. And then in the future, that that might be an option for me. But having tried it for a couple of months, I realized, well, this is a very hard road if I'm not an experienced entrepreneur, don't have money and, and don't really have um, knowledge of an industry and, and a network. Yep, I would totally agree with that. And I mean, I can I could probably name five examples off the top of my head, but one that I, I reference frequently is a podcast motor, which was founded by Craig Hewitt while he was working a day job as like a sales account rep uh, for pharmaceuticals or medical devices. So he's, he starts podcast motor, which is podcast editing as a service. It's monthly fee, you know, whatever is $500 a month to like edit and produce your podcast. And he built that, I believe he talked about it on maybe when I interviewed him, but he built it to like 20 or $30,000 a month in like not a long time and the margins are good you know they're not quite SaaS, but they're not yeah you're nodding it's like i know these that's the dirty little secret <laughs> of productized services is it seems like when we think of consulting we think of SaaS. i think all right 80 90 net margins like 30 to 50 percent gross margins at scale and when i think of services i think of much much less than that but these productized services are an ingenious blend of that and when you do get the sops you know in place um i know that that there there are really good uh, margins in there. Is that something you've found as well? Yeah, I, I feel like productized services are a great step from consulting. So consulting for me didn't really feel like a business. It was me selling my expertise. And then that transition into a productized service where you're building something that is delivered outside of you. So you're forced to build a team, procedures, and building a brand and also a marketing system. So you're not relying on your network to sell it. You need to learn all of those skills and I felt like that was the next stair step and also the the margins can be nice it generates cash flow and I, I think you can still work with the end in mind which might be creating financial freedom it might be building software or having a SaaS but you don't necessarily have to to start with that yeah and and again yeah. Craig's a great example a great example of, of using the knowledge that he built generating cash flow and then going on to solve another problem with software in that same industry. Right. To start Castos, which is podcast hosting, mm. and then grow that. And then got funded by Tiny Seed, who's part of batch one. And now, you know, Podcast Motor is like the back end for Castos Productions, which is this, you know, he's now the only 
podcast hosting service that has editing and production coupled with it, which is a real value add for some people. And and he would you would I wouldn't say you'd never build that from scratch, but it, it's just it's really fortuitous to be able to to combine those. And like you said, it got him to quitting his job so much earlier because building a SaaS, ten, twenty, thirty dollars a month to pay your, you know, eight thousand dollar a month living expenses or whatever they are, it just takes forever. Right. It does. I've I've lived it myself, many of us have. So very cool. So yeah, we we um touched earlier on how, you know, see, you said if we get into the how of it, like the implementation of how to like, you know, get services going, I, talk, talk to me about what you were thinking about there. Well, I can look back to how I got going with consulting and then how I got going with productized services. And with consulting, yep. for me, that was just talking to business owners and understanding, I basically go in and try to understand what the problem was and then see if I could create a solution. So if you already have software, then you're probably already talking to customers and understanding what problems you're solving. And there might just be ways that you can go in and, and say, well, would you like me to help with this and kind of see where it goes? I'm a believer in in just trying to get something going, move move quickly and yeah, see where you can add value. So it, I'd say it would all start with conversations and really try to understand what, yeah, what the problem is. And I also don't think necessarily at the beginning you might not be trying to make a ton of money out of it you'd be trying to figure out well what is the best kind of service learning experimenting and then you might figure out whether it's the implementation whether it's the service on top of uh, the, the software that's on more of a recurring basis might take a, bit, a little bit of time to figure that out but you iterate and learn and and yeah away you go yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna give an example of a company i know who's done just that and then i'll ask you for one so i'll give you a second to think about it while i talk but um there's a company in in batch one tiny seed called gather and therefore um interior designers and architects they're SaaS, and they were they're growing well but they realized that they're there are only so many uh, of their customers and they're long longer sales cycles because it's enterprise sales and so they started thinking of this idea of, of offering service value add. And they originally wanted to do it purely productized and be like, hey, it's whatever, $1,000 a month for this many hours or this much help. And they found that there was real friction there, that that everyone was trying to back into the hourly rate. And then they're like, well, what if I don't use all that? Hour? You know, it just, it wasn't working in the way they were trying to sell it. Then they they just made adjustment, right? So to your point of iterating, um, they started saying, okay, well, we will do it for an hourly fee, but you know, they raised the fee up and they, um, I don't know, put a minimum. They're, they they made adjustments, right? As as entrepreneurs have to do, to almost find product market fit with just that little offering, and they started getting more interest. This is this may or may not be something they want to do long term, but it is. It's like a short term cash infusion. They are learning a ton more about their customers, how they work, their you know their processes because they're they're having to now pull data into their own software in the way their customer would. They're helping them do stuff. And so it's a like a phenomenal learning experience for them. Um, so I'm curious if you have, you know, a similar story or stories that you could regale us with. Yes, I think Brian Castle's doing something similar at the moment. He's building a software product called Process Kit, but also is doing some paid implementations. Uh, so most of the customers, I believe, are going in and setting, setting up everything themselves but those that want a bit of extra help are paying for that implementation and i don't think he's doing tons of them and that's not the business model but it's definitely that from what he's described it is great for cash flow but also good for learning in these early early stages very cool and 
have you, so did you go from consulting? Cause well, I guess my question is this, I know being ninjas as a productized service, do you also add like offer one off consulting to within being ninjas or are you pretty tight to like, no, this is the product we offer for this price? That's an interesting question because if you'd asked me a year ago, we were very tight with the product offering. And to me, that's one of something you have to be very careful of with a productized service because it's very tempting. When people think they're buying services, they always want to add this on or try and add that. And if you're trying to sell a productized service, then in the early stages for me, it was learning to say no to a lot of things to really define, well, what are we offering? Where's the value? And who, who are the customers that we're selling this to? But it's something that I've been rethinking now that we're almost five years in and we don't want to go down the full custom consulting route. But what we've been, we, we looked at, well, bookkeeping, the value there is in the data, the, the financial data, but the value is in using that to make decisions, not just sending reports to founders that don't look at anything. And so originally, the the way that we solved the problem of founders not using this information to make decisions was through creating courses. And I like that because it felt like we're creating a product, scalable, and, and that definitely helped. But there were also people at the other end that just wanted someone to do it for them. Don't teach me how to build a cash flow forecast or a dashboard. Can you just do it? And mm -hmm. so we're exploring that at the moment and we do have a higher priced option. It's still, I'd say it's in between consulting and a productized service. It's more custom. There's some custom elements like calls where we go through and, and talk through the numbers, the, the story, and also build things like cash flow forecasts, which, which requires a much higher uh, technical expertise from the accountants that, that do this, but it's still not consider consulting, going into a business to understand all of the problems and then coming up with some kind of custom solution. So it's not that, but it's not quite a productized service either. Sure, sure. Did you and, and the way that I, yeah, I was, I was just thinking about uh, with productized services, I, I think of them as a nice kind of layer in the middle with a business model and then with their courses, which are more scalable, that we would want to have a lot of a lot more customers buying those that then feed into the productized services and then just a smaller number at the top of the consulting clients because not all of our, our customers are going to need that. But I think it's nice to have more diverse, diversified revenue streams, but within the one business. Right. Like a funnel. It's a funnel within your own, your own mm -hmm. company. Or I yeah. believe I heard it a product ladder at certain points where you buy one and you kind of step up to the next. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So I, you know, as, Let's say that I'm a, I'm a software entrepreneur. I've built a SaaS app on the side. It's doing five grand a month. I've done an amazing job because even getting there is really hard. And let's say that, you know, I serve, um, what's a good example? You know, construction firms, like electrical construction, electrical contractors who are wiring houses or who are putting, you know, I'm in a niche is the real point. But and, and I'm finding out that, yeah, they're having trouble getting their estimates in or they're having trouble, you know, doing some stuff. And I start to see a pain point where they're kind of fumbling every time. Um, how would you think about, like, what's a first step? I, let's say I've had, con uh, I've had conversation with customers and I know there's a pain point there. Is the next step to think about, hey, let's do some one-off, let's hire someone to do one-off consulting with them, like, uh, or, or to start with productize at the start? Like, is there a, a, you know, a procession there? Also, do you think the founder should try to do it themselves at first? 
or bring in like a contractor or an employee right away to kind of implement that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So if it's if I was building a productized service, then I would not want to, and we're a couple of years in or we've been a little while into the process, then I would want to hire a contractor to do that straight away. And that's something we tried to do at Bean Ninjas was I wanted to remove myself from delivery as soon as possible. But if part of the reason for this is learning, which it sounds like it might be, if the core business is SaaS, then there's actually a lot of benefit in delivering that in, in talking to these customers and, and really going deep with that. And so as the founder, I'd probably, if it was me, I'd probably go and do that myself at the beginning just to understand it. And I probably wouldn't go in with a productized service or, or frame it that way at the beginning unless I thought that it would be easier to sell if it was um, here are two options, this is the price, these are the de deliverables. Sometimes it's easier for, for customers to buy that than uh, let me come in and do consulting and they don't know what that means or how much it's going to cost and, and whether they even want to do that. So I just think about who I was talking to, what the best way to communicate value to them, and I'd probably do it myself in, in the early days. Yeah, it feels like it would, the real MVP would be just that, wouldn't it? It'd be having a conversation and saying, well, I can give you five hours this month, even though you really don't want to do it, especially a SaaS founder is not going to want to do it. But yeah, <laughs> you're doing it for the learning. And I mean, maybe in construction, it, it wouldn't work, but there are industries where you can charge a pretty penny for it. Like, let's say you have an app that does like, you know, IT security and suddenly you're dealing with, you know, you can charge 150 an hour, 200 an hour to do like you know, $200 an hour to do security consulting. At that point, it does become a little more worth it, even if you don't want to do dollars for hours. Um, it's just a little more lucrative to get it done. What's your take on, you know, all things being equal, if you have folks doing these services, let's say you get later, your 20, 30K MRR, and you have, you know, two people now implementing services, you know, whether it's part-time or full-time. What's your take on like the contract versus employee handling those for you? I'm curious how you guys, maybe how you structure it. And if you have opinions on it, you know, at different stages, is it you start slow with contractors, you know, and they're part-time and you get them up to full-time and then you hire them as, and you know, in the U.S. it's W-2, but it's just an employee, an official employee, or, or what's, what's the model? How do you think about it? I think what what I did with Beanages was contractors at the beginning and then moved to employees. I think one of the main advantages of contractors is that you can really control your margins, especially if you're paying them per job. So if you're writing articles and they get paid a fixed price per article, then you're always in control of your margins and know what, what you're making per whatever it is that you're selling. Yeah. And th that's much harder to manage with employees. Uh, the reason we moved to employees with Bean Ninjas and having full-time staff was that a lot of our contractors had things on the side, so it didn't feel like we were the main priority. We were kind of fitted in around that, and we wanted to build a team culture where we had committed staff, and also we found it hard to build a leadership team when people were contractors and had other things going. Uh, it was fine for individual workers who were responsible for an output. So a bookkeeper managing their own workflow worked well. But when we wanted to put in place managers and training and team meetings and everyone had, you know, 10 or 15 people with different schedules and part-time, that became a bit of a nightmare. And, and for us at Bootstrap Business, we, we did get some small investment later on, but 
we were already trying to make that transition to employees and full-time staff. And, and it took a couple of years. We didn't have enough money just to switch for, straight from contractors to employees. So that was a gradual thing over a couple of years, but a decision we made to, to help us to scale up the business and build that leadership team. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point people should note is if you look at, if you read any venture capitalist or Silicon Valley investor, you'll see things like, you need to have an office in the Bay Area, you need to have an office at all, you need to hire only W-2s, never hire contractors to build yourself. You know, you see these real nevers and always. You need, if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to raise venture funding, like step away from that. Like you're, you're a bootstrapper or maybe you raise a small angel round, whatever it is it's different mindset. And my rule of thumb is, is exactly what you've said, is hire contractors early. It, it is a little bit of a pain. Deal with the pain because it's way cheaper <laughs> and there's less risk, you know? And, and you yeah. can find them and they're part-time and yeah, it'll be a pain in the ass, but you'll figure it out. That's what we do. We're entrepreneurs. We do hard things that are kind of messy, you know? And if you don't want to do that, then go, go get a great job because it'll, you probably make more <laughs> money from that for the next, for the foreseeable future. But then, and then you ratchet that up. And I've done this I don't even countless times where I hire a bunch of contractors doing different things and they're part-time and then certain ones are just better than others. And I wind, they wind up becoming full-time magically over time and we work really well together and the other ones kind of drift out and you almost like craft your own, you know, employee force, like a like contract to hire yeah. uh, in a bit. And to your point about um, leadership team, when I'm at 5K a month and I'm solo, I'm not thinking about that, but that becomes a real concern when you start to scale and you have 10, 20, 30 people on staff. You don't want to, the point of this is not to, to be managing a bunch of people. The point of this is to be an entrepreneur and work right on the business instead of in it. So I like, uh, I like that, you, that you have put a management team in place. Uh, where, do you remember like the head count where you decided to, to start getting that going? I think I had... 10 contractors so 10 contract bookkeepers if you looked at an organizational chart my name was in every single box apart from bookkeeping which was the service delivery and then they all reported to me and so that was just a nightmare to try and get anything done answering questions reviewing work it was just terrible and so that was when we started um first it was a matter for the bookkeeping team and then i drew out an organizational chart and i wanted my name just to be in one box you know and then it took four years to gradually hire different team members to be to not just take on tasks but to take on responsibility for different areas of the business and that was a very intentional process and and, and quite painful at times because sometimes you'd find someone that was great and then it might not work out so it was a, a slow process but yeah very worthwhile yeah that's fine yeah i've uh I believe I heard someone say that I say this now, so either I made it up or someone else did, but it was like, I said, you know, as, as a founder, I just find I'm constantly firing myself from any job I do. And that's what you should be doing. Right. Is it's like when you're a founder, there's one or two of you, you're doing 20 boxes on an org chart. Like once we got acquired by lead pages, which is 170 people at the time, I couldn't believe the specialists, you know, it's like this one person is just writing articles for just the blog. And I was like, what? We have like, we have one person doing six things, you know, but that's what at scale, you become extremely, extremely specialized. And so, uh, but before that, you're just, you know, a Jack or a Jill of all trades and you're doing all the things. And I think uh, being aware of that and learning to like fire yourself from that is pretty, um, it's, it's knowledgeable, right? It shows that that you have experience with this if you decided to hire a leadership team and not just manage 20 people yourself, which I've seen folks do, which is, you know, really tough. 
And I find that challenging, especially because some of my professional reputation. So in, before I was running Bean Ninjas, I prided myself on being a great accountant. And then we're selling accounting services, which is a productized service. So very different prices to what I would charge as a professional accountant. But some of my reputation and my own views about that were tied up in the service we're selling. So then was trying to deliver the level of service I would as a consultant for these cheap uh, we would try to do WP curve style pricing at the beginning, $99 yeah. bookkeeping, which I realized did not work. But that was a really big learning exercise for me in, in separating myself from that and thinking, trying to think like we're selling a product. This is not my professional reputation. This is a product yeah. business with a separate brand. And then allowing different members in the team to have their own management styles, to make their own mistakes and just try and allow that and then also put in place things to mitigate risks around that for example if someone makes a mistake with accounts that's different to having a, maybe a spelling mistake in you know blog posts that we can go and fix so we, we need to make sure there's good uh, quality controls and things like that so if pe people do make mistakes we're going to pick up the things that really matter yep i think that's a good lesson i mean kind of as we wrap up here like what you pointed out is and this is something I see with developers as well, or anyone who's a subject matter expert, is the beauty is that you can sell the service. I bet as an accountant, you selling Bean Ninjas was a no problem. You can talk the lingo, you know all the verbiage, you know the double entry, you know all the stuff. But the, the downside to that is you kind of want to do the work yourself or you want to be really involved and you want to, you know, you want to micromanage. I mean, that's how I was as a developer when I would hire the first developer on the software. It's like, I should not be in the code, but oh my gosh, what a mess this person just created. I need to fix it. And that's, it's something you have to get over if you want to eat, not even to scale a business to millions, but just to scale up past a point where it's just a job for you, you know? So that's excellent. Well, thank you so much, Meryl. We are at time today. Um, if folks want to keep up with you, obviously beanninjas.com, if they want to see what you're up to. And of course, if they have uh, use zero accounting software and want uh, bookkeeping help with that, you're there. And then on Twitter, you are at Johnston underscore Merrill, and we will uh, link that up. Any, any closing thoughts? you want to say bye to the folks? Yeah, it, it's been great chatting with you. I've been involved in the Slack community and found a cafe for a while and enjoy interacting with people as part of this community. I really like the mindset around building these businesses which we love and enjoy running, but also it's not, you know, we're, we're trying to not sacrifice things like our health and, and family. So I love the ethos of the community and it's great being part of it. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if folks want to connect with you, you're in MicroConf Connect as well. And there's a Tropical MBA interview that I think went live like maybe two weeks ago as of this airing uh, called Our Productized Services Overrated, right? And, and you're in there. So if they want to dig in further, you can hear Dan and or Ian talk to you for for an hour about that. So thanks again, Meryl. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot.